You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. You are rocking with your host, Matt LeBrie, on an all-new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. Super excited to have you here today with us and our amazing guest, yet another amazing guest joining the show. As always, really grateful for the fact that I'm able to amplify these stories and these lessons and these experiences to all of you and, you know, grateful for the fact that you tune into them because you're showing up for yourself and being able to add that light to your day and that positivity to your day is truly, truly meaningful. Now, today's guest is one like no other, as every guest has been so far. Today, we are joined by my friend Anthony Trucks, former NFL player turned transformational identity shift coach. Now, you may not understand what that means at the moment, but I assure you by the end of this episode, when you dive into his story through these questions, you will become comprehensive of what that means. You'll also realize why a transformational shift is what your life may be missing to reach your full potential in life. Now, you may have seen Anthony on American Ninja Warrior. You may have seen him in the NFL, but the work he's doing right now is clearly what he's passionate about and being able to bring his work about through these questions and through this episode, right through your headphones, through your car audio system, whatever the case may be, however you're listening to this is truly, truly so so powerful and meaningful. And again, really excited to have you here for this one. Now, before diving too far down the rabbit hole, I wanted to remember to make sure that I'm asking you, I'm requesting of you. There's no fee of watching this or listening to this episode. So I always, always, always want our guests, our listeners, our community members to share it with the people in their circle because the people in their circle may not be here in our decoding success community, right? You have the opportunity to be a beacon of light by sharing this with your group chat, by sharing this with your family, your friends, your colleagues, your staff, whomever, your coworkers, right? The people on your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your Pinterest, whatever everyone's on these days. And if you're doing the socials, make sure you're tagging us so I could personally reach out and thank you and share it and show my love for you, my gratitude for you helping bring about people to this community. And again, you being that beacon of light that goes so, so far in people's lives, whether they say it or not. I'm sure that, you know, there's people that have been impacted through this show that I may not know of. And uh, like I said, whether they know it or not, it's so, so powerful. But now without further ado, we got all that out of the way for all the good stuff to come. Our friend, Anthony Trucks. Anthony, my man, I am excited to have you. I'm grateful to have you, especially during this whole pandemic that we're in. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us. So thank you for joining us, man. Hey, man, no problem. Thank you for having me on. Seriously. Of course. Now we kick the show off with the same question. I'm really curious to hear what this is for you, but how do you personally define success? Oh, success is control. I've had that question times before. You know, it's interesting because people say freedom, but I don't know, man, because freedom just gives me like the freedom to choose what sucky job I have or freedom to choose (laughs) how chubby I get, I guess. Right. But control, like, do I have self-control? Do I have emotional control? Do I have control of the hours of my day? Do I have Mm. control of a job that gives me the, the freedom to do things? So I just, I feel like control. And it doesn't mean a million dollars because you can still be a slave to a business that you hate <laughs> with a million right. dollars, right? So it's like, uh, do I have control? That's it. 
That's interesting, man. So, I mean, obviously we can't control everything, right? So no. what happens when you can't control it? Do you feel like you're not successful? You control yourself in the aspects you can't control. There's, there's a level of self-control. It's a huge piece. I think it kind of led with that because uh, realistically things happen every day. I mean, every single day that I'm like, I didn't expect that right. to happen. But the, 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 for me, the goal is always to have the next moments of my life be of quality. And even if something that's not of great quality happens now, I get to choose the reaction to it, control, so I can have the next moments be closer towards quality. So even those things that I didn't expect to happen, which is, you know, life, because life happens between your plans, uh, even then I have a control of how I experience this and how I choose right. to experience it. So that things can be, uh, may not be better or different. It may not, you know, if I lose all my money, doesn't mean that like all of a sudden like, I'm great, I'm okay. Like, that's not realistic, but I do have control of, do I jump off a bridge or I go make more? Mm, okay, I love that. Now, how did you come across this definition of control? Was that always your definition? I'm sure it's changed over the course of time, but yeah. well, how, how did you stumble across this? I'm just curious. This is the first oh, time man. I've ever heard anyone say control <laughs> is how they yeah. define success. And we've done over 150 plus episodes. Interesting. Ah, you know, I, I, I guess I stumbled across it because I, I grew up in a situation where I didn't have control. I mean, we'll go to my personal story maybe if you want, but I grew up in craziness and foster care. I was just a leaf in the wind of the system. I, you know, I just, even when I played sports, I didn't have control of my job. Like I was, you know, right. in college football, that NFL football. And so it's like, you don't have control, none of that. And then I come home and I had this, this gym business and I couldn't control how things would, would go up or go down. So there's months where I'd be okay. And then some months I'm getting served with, you know, notices to be evicted. So like over the years, I'm like, man, I have all this freedom to do things, mm -hmm. but I have no control of stuff, man. And then my relationship fell apart and it is all a bunch of nuts of stuff in life. And I think for me, just breaking my life and feeling completely out of control is what led me to this realization that everything I was trying to find and reach and seek and achieve, all these things were just me like just floating around, but never actually settling down, like buckling my seatbelt in the driver's seat of my life and saying, let me control where this thing is going and see what that looks like. And, uh, and that's kind of where I guess for me, I've looked at like, all right, I have a really good control of my life, control of self, um, not control of people, but control of understanding how I operate around certain people, my business. It's just a matter of what can I control when I can and how can I control myself when I can't. Yeah, man. I love that. I appreciate the vulnerability. I would love to go into the personal journey. And I think one of the questions I typically ask is who is XYZ in high school? But even before that, man, you know, you had the mm. odds stacked up against you. You said that you were in the foster care system and I was unaware of the statistics around foster care children. Right. And I saw yeah. them on your website and I can't quote them verbatim right now, but I saw 70% um, of inmates were previously in foster care. Right. And I think there was another yeah. statistic that really stood out 51. to me, man. Yeah. 51% of the homeless population are former foster kids, like less than 1% of foster kids ever graduate from college. That's crazy, man. Like you had the odds stacked up against you. How did you find Super. out, you know, how, how did you come out on top? Right. I mean, yeah. were, were you ever victim to that? Oh man, there's times when I got into stupid stuff. At 17, I almost got a, uh, well actually did, I got arrested for uh, breaking into cars with, you know, some buddies late night doing dumb kid stuff. Just, I'm yeah. a cool guy. And you, you know, was, so yeah, I've definitely had my uh, opportunity to slide downhill and it's just kind of there. Cause the funny thing is most people ask like, how'd you beat those odds? How did you, how'd you not do that? Cause then on top of that, you know, I go to the NFL, which is, you know, what one in 20,000, you know, high school football players will do. And, you know, and then my business, I just sold it after 10 years, my first business, the gym which is, you know, 
like less than 99% or something, uh, sorry, less than 1% of businesses will be around in 10 years, right? So all these right. things kind of just kept running. And I, the only thing I can think of is like I beat the odds because I had this adoptive mom who she came into the picture uh, and she passed away in 2014, but she came into the picture at a time when I was six years old and super cut off from the world. I'd already been, you know, starved and beaten by five different families. And I was a really emotionally angry, shut down little kid. And she just unconditionally loved me past the crazy. Because when you're like that, you're a crazy little kid, man. Like when you are, I mean, I, I was told the first week I was in her home, I broke like three lamps. Probably on purpose. Because like what you do when you're a kid and you're foster care, you just want to go back to your real mom. So I'm going to do everything I can and make them not want me so I can get sent back. That's what they'll do. They're not going to do that. They just keep putting you in new houses. So I just kept doing these things. And then eventually, like I, it took eight years. I was adopted at 14 with that family. And an all-white family at that. I'm the only black person in an all-white family. Um, even with that, like she just loved me past the school crazy, the home crazy, all those things. And it gave, it gave me a sense of self and, uh, and just a sense of, uh, we'll call it confidence that like made me believe I actually deserve something decent in life. And so I started building when I was around 15, I started building on top of the small successes I had day by day by day by day, like seriously, like stacking Legos to build a, an actual real house. That's what it felt mm. like. Just little yeah. itty bitty bricks. And it turned into this thing where I just, I've, I've at this point in my life, I don't want to let yesterday's Anthony down. It's just mm -hmm. a compounding. I've had my times where the Legos got kicked in. That's life, but that's essentially how I picture it. Right. So do you ever feel like you've had to do inner work in regards to tending to that little child that's all that's inside all of us, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like, what, what does that inner work look like for you? I'm curious because it's something I'm doing, man. And yeah. I, I like to be I like to be the person that destigmatizes this stuff. You know, I'm 27, six foot five, former mm -hmm. athlete myself. You know, yeah. uh, we're, we're taught to be that bravado, that macho guy. It's funny. I got arrested at 17, too. So I resonate mm -hmm. with you on that point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm just curious what that inner work looked like for you. Oh man. So you gotta, you gotta fast forward to like 20, what was that? Like 2013, 14, probably around 14, man. So like, I guess so, so just, I got the NFL about 2008. I tear my shoulder playing against the Philadelphia Eagles with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I come home and, uh, and unbeknownst to me, it was the end of the season, but actually end of my career. And eventually a little bit later, I ended up, you know, opening this gym because my degree's in kinesiology. And I figured like, I'm just going to do something else. That's going to get me, you know, passive time till I go back to the league. And then I found out nobody else wanted me. And so I ended up hanging the jersey up crying in my office when it all took place like it sucked and then I had to figure out how do I rebuild this guy this this, this bravado this, this you know sense of identity that I'd built up as the athlete because that's all that made me me at this time you know all my life that I like my cognitive life was this, the football player and so so I get this point where I'm like now I'm gone I have two more kids at my my high school sweetheart who went to college with me we had our first son in college had our, our twins when I came out of the NFL and now I got three kids and I'm at the gym 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. trying to make this thing run. I'm making no money. I'm looking at bankruptcy nine months in all the NFL money's gone. I'm out of shape. It's like, I guess everything you can think of that made me, me was gone. Mm -hmm. So I get to this really dark, dark bottom. I'm like, man, I don't want to be here anymore. Drive off one night. Assume I'm gonna go find some rat poison. Thankfully don't. 
the wave of pain subsides and I kind of have somebody plant the seed that, which was like, one, don't ever do that again. Two, you don't realize, like, I, I feel like I lost a hero because we, we know what you've gone through in life and people might say it to you, but you're inspiration. So I had this weird little seed of like, what if, what if all this crazy was worthwhile uh, and useful to somebody? Although like, I'm not in the place that you don't, when you're in that place, you're not supposed to help people. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not the time, you know, that's not the time that you go start helping people. So I fogged up. I just started living life in this really deep fog of just floating, going through the paces for years. My mom passes away in 2014. And, uh, and I'm kind of trying to figure out, okay, I, I want to look into this doing something. Cause here was a big thing for me and, and like how I did the personal work was just kind of the path to it is I realized my mom's body, she passed some MS at 47 and my mom's body stole her potential from her, stole her ability to go live a life that was full. And I was in this process, this point being in a fog and I'm like, I'm not even really living my life. She gave me the opportunity to like, I got to go see what's my full potential as a human here. What can I do? Like, what can I do past? the odds of foster care and all the things I should have done and shouldn't have done. So I started venturing out and like starting to work on, you know, me. And this was the first path to it. But I started doing the work that everybody, everybody chooses to do. I'm going to read the books and I'm going to get woke and I'm going to learn about self. I'm going to do cool posts, but I wasn't working. You're like, there's, there's the work that, that, that you think you're doing. And then you're like, why am I still feeling like the same guy? Why has I done all this work, but I feel, I feel broken, broken inside. Like, what, what is that? You know? And so what I found was 2016, this is a real moment that started taking place. I've gone through a divorce. I'm in the middle of custody battles. At one point I'm living in a 500 square foot studio apartment on a twin bed with my three kids and an air mattress next to me. Uh, just everything was, I, I had to borrow five grand from my ex-wife during Christmas time to pay bills and pay for my kids Christmas presents. Ex-wife, mm-hmm. not, not current, you know, like this is right. lows, man. And I woke up one day, I had, I had, you know, finally somehow figured part of the business stuff out. So fast forward a couple of years, um, you know, I'd made like really good money. I made like a quarter million dollars in this contract for fitness with a local power company. And, and so now I wake up in 2016, I'm in the, the, the playboy lifestyle, man, I'm dark inside. So you got the, um, you know, women and traveling and all this kind of stuff. And then I wake up one day and I'm looking at this woman who I, I went to Russia and flew a Russian woman out, couldn't even speak English. And it was like the playboy guy, you know, I got the foreign lady and, you know, and says, and I woke up disgusted, man. I just, I remember looking over and just this wave of like, who is this dude? Like, this right. is not somebody that I'm proud of. This is not someone I ever want my kids to see or act like. This is not someone that, that you know, God would, would ever want me to be like. And I would never want my mom to see what I've turned into. Mm. And it was this journey of like, dude, you suck. Let's figure this out. Because I was the common denominator. We're always the common denominator in situations. So what I did, literal actual work, I sat in a brown couch and stared at this wall, a brown wall in my my house. And I just sat there and asked a bunch of questions of Anthony, how are you here? And and I look at it metaphorically like a computer. Like I'm on a computer, you're on a computer. These computers, they operate with hardware that has you know, software running and there's programs in the software. The programs, you know, are going to be like the Chrome or the Zoom we're on now. And sometimes you get alerts. It says, Hey, this program needs an update. No, no, no. Snooze that. I don't got time for all that. Come on. You need to update your Chrome, not snooze. I'll give me 24 hours. I'll check it later. If you don't ever update it, eventually the, the, the programs, they start bogging down. Like and the software doesn't get updated. And all of a sudden you might get that spinning wheel of death. And then you might want to open in safe mode and see if I can fix things, but never really is fully functional. So eventually, 
eventually like, whatever, fine. I'll click it. I'll wait 30 minutes oh, forever. I got something to do. It'll download and it'll upload. And then all of mm-hmm. a sudden things work, but it's, it takes time. So humanistically, this is the exact same thing I did because I work in identity and that's really the software on your hardware. So for me, it's kind of like we, a lot of us have got this, this 2020 hardware, but we got windows 95 for our software you know, right. and we're, we're operating off of things that were inset in us unintentionally as identity programming back when we were 15, 16 years old. We've been running with that for years. And all the programs come up and say, hey, Ed, you got to be a better husband. No, no, snooze that. Hey, you got to be a better dad. No, no, snooze that. Hey, you got to take care of your body. Ah, snooze that. You got to be better at work. Nah, snooze. I don't want to do that. And I kept snoozing everything. And now I get to this point in my life where I realized, dude, my programming is just, it's, it's 95. I'm operating out for a little foster kid that, that didn't, didn't think he deserved much. Didn't know how to work real hard. Football was the one thing he could figure to do because it was just an expulsion of just energy. Right. And so what happened is I had to download for me, which was like, all right, what am I really off? I'm spending more time with other people's kids than my own. Like I, I was part of the problem in my marriage and why I fell apart and to figure my place out business and to figure the business portion out. I got to get in better shape. Like I had to do all these things really honest, very hard downloads. And so then I had to say, okay, let me upload into my life the actions I got to take to fix this. So apologies, you know, doing more work, uh, the right work, not just the work that felt good, the right work, you know, and and it took a lot of like shredding of my ego. And in doing so, it gave me a self-control that allowed me to get to the point of being able to control the outcomes of my life a little bit better. And so, you know, I was 2016, January 1st, what that was by October, after three years divorce, I was back with my ex-wife. We were back together now a little over four years. Wow. Uh, my businesses do well. I sold the business that's the gym business. I now do speaking and coaching um, in this identity work. Uh, my body's in shape. Like I got to do American Ninja Warrior. Like I've got a lot of crazy cool things. I'm now I'm in my life, I'm trying to seek my full potential. It came from doing that work of really, and I have a model. I, I work my clients through of the exact kind of process I went through, but we go back and we, we look and like figure out what are the things things that I got to download into my life and then we're going to upload it painstakingly to shift into the ideal identity of the human being who has my dreams. Because if we were already that person, we already have those things, but we're right. not. So we got to grow to become that person. I love that, man. Now, my question to you on the whole downloading the, the current software, how mm-hmm. do we recognize, I, I believe I'm a very self-aware person, but there's definitely mm-hmm. times where I'm not aware yeah. of the signs that are being showed to me. So yeah. how do we know, or, you know, what's the process in your opinion of checking in with our software instead of getting hit with the two by four across the face? You know what yeah, I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. well, cause oh, life could just hit you, you know? Yeah, this is so, so one thing I did is like, there's a lot of people that, that, uh, that share concepts and stories, which is, I mean, it's just what I, it's what I do. I share a concept and a story, but then I was like, you know what? I really want to look at who are the most impactful humans in the world, uh, in our industry, my industry. It's those who write books and have coaching programs and actual true frameworks. So I went and spent 60 hours with a woman who does uh, educational work. Like she's a doctor in education. I was like, I want to learn how to teach. How do I formulate ideas and structure? So what I'm about to tell you is this, this model that came from years of my life, neuroscience, you know, psychology, and unpacking to create what's called the shift method. It's a very structured process. And so there's three stages. It's C, shift, sustain. And so you're asking about the C stage. And the C stage is very specific. But what I do in that is I I realize that there's things that you said I can't see about my life because there's things mm-hmm. I did ask a lot of honest questions of Anthony, but then I got really good friends, which are really good friends. And I was like, Hey, b- Hey, break it down, man. I'm gonna bite my tongue 
give me the dirt, right? And so I found that having the ability to choose specific people in my life that were going to tell me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear, gave me the self-awareness that I wasn't aware of, right? And so I, I have a process in this uh, you know, program that I do that allows people to actually go through what's called triad talks. There's a specific set of questions and a flow we do, and then some internal work I do as well uh, and checking in that allows me to start the process of being able to check myself constantly without having to have somebody else always. But you get this, we'll call it report at the end and you can look at it and be like, dang, this is, this is not fun to hear. I got an executive client works for Amazon, uh, very solid human. And what's interesting is we went through this with their uppers, right? So I, I hold these calls for some people too. And what comes back, it's usually details and information that do not feel good to hear. They don't because oh, yeah. Yeah. the honesty is, is like when you give someone the ability to be very honest, they don't want to hear that. But it gives a foundation to allow true progress to take place. Because if not, a lot of people will go right to the shift stage. I'm going to go right here and start working on this stuff. And then you get to that feeling of like, I climb this ladder, I get tired climbing a ladder, I get to the very top and go, oh man, it's leaning against the wrong building. Mm. This isn't where I wanted to be. And a lot of people get there in life. They, they keep doing this work. Why is my marriage working any better? I'm doing this work. Why don't I have a, don't have a promotion yet? Well, because you're not doing the right work. And if you did the stuff that you have to do to figure out what the right work is, you'd find that you actually have to do less of the hard work because you're doing more of the right work. Right. Right. I love that, man. And I want to get back to your story because I can go down the rabbit hole of this deep stuff <laughs> real quick. Whatever you want, dude. I'm telling you, this is what I do. I, I have fun I, I chatting it. about this. All right. So you know what? You do podcasts often. What's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? That's a very good question. That's not one I actually ever get, my man. Uh, That's yeah, the I purpose, man. Question. I, I, people ask, so this is one of the questions that was actually posed to me and I wish people would, would ask this question, uh, but they don't. And so the thing is, is it's how do you do more as a human? I think that was one that, that uh, somebody texted me one time. I've never gotten a podcast. So how do you do, how can you get more done? Like, or do more. And it's not a productivity thing. Okay. I think to, to do more, because you hear that as a productivity, right? Most people are like, how do you do more? And I don't think productivity is always the key. I think for me, um, I generally have this rooted thing in like, I want to do weird stuff. I want to find, like I might fight a Portugal at the end of August for a TV show that, that just, cause I just do weird stuff, man. I'm gonna hop on and try these things out. And it's, and I, I look at doing more as, is stretching into the space. Um, that most people don't, as they get older, don't stretch into. So when we're like, when we're young, we have this really big view of the world, right? And so this big view of like, man, I could be an astronaut and I could be a teacher and I could be a podcast host, like all these things, right? And then as we get older, we start getting to here and it gets tired and it gets tired. And eventually when I'm older, I'm just here. That's all I do. I go to Wall Street. This is my job. Or I go to the pizza shop. This is my job. And my life becomes a tunnel. And I was there when I had my gym. I lived in this one street that was a mile away from my gym. And for a week, I remember one time, like I never left that street. Like I was here in the entire world. I didn't leave a one mile radius for a week. And I was like, man, it's just a weird, when I look at it, weird feeling. And so when I say do more, it's not about getting more done. It's about literally trying and doing and, and experiencing more of life because I, I, people fail to comprehend that life has lived outside of your norm. Like you can live your norm, but it, there's actually something called event horizons. There's a study done. I can't remember who did the study, but if you look at like a 10 year period, people do the exact same thing for 10 years. Like I go, here's where I work and I go to this cabin and for my vacation, here's where I, you know, I go to work and I go to Christmas, I go here and I go, and it's the same process. We get used to a tradition of it all. We have less very big, what we call event horizons and moments that we recall. So 10 years feels like a year. 
or two years. Yeah. It all merges together. But if you look at expanding and say, okay, every year I go here different, I go there different, I try new things. 10 years feels like 20 years for some people, right? So for me, it's when you do more, you get to experience more, but you actually like elongate the feeling of how your life is. And so like at my age, I'm 36, I'll be 37 this year. I feel like I'm 57. Like <laughs> there's so many random things I've done and been and in just the last five, six years. And it's more so because like, I, I want to do more in life. I want to see what's possible. I want to write books. I want to be on TV. I want to do a, a movie for no reason whatsoever. I want to do certain events. I want to try it all, not because I'm trying to figure out who Anthony is, but I want to show Anthony who Anthony is. Because yeah. I know who I am as a core human, but I want this guy to like, hey, dude, what can you do? Because I have this quote that I, I live by, and it's one that I randomly made up years ago. Uh, and it's, it goes, the last person I ever want to meet in my deathbed is a person I could have been. Right. And I don't know who that guy is. I don't want to meet him. But in my head, like I got this tick. I'm like, I want to figure out who that guy is. Now I don't do it at the cost of my family. I'm a very present family man. I'm, I'm at home because that's part of the experience of shutting things down. But when I have my working time and I'm creating, man, I create. I go to work. I stay focused because I know there's things that I'll, I'll be able to accomplish later on down the road that, that I can't foresee, but they're only going to become possibilities based on what I do now. Right. There's so much growth in what you just said, man. Those experiences are like no other when you just, you know, step out of the box, you know, that's yeah. such a beautiful thing. You mentioned you're going to Portugal. Where's your favorite place to travel to? Uh, I've been a lot of places, man. Favorite place so far. Ah, I, I liked Greece. I went to Mykonos, Greece. And I got to jump in like the Aegean Sea. That's super cool. Uh, but man, I don't know. I've been to like, oh, you know, it's nice. Uh, Turks and Caicos. That place is beautiful. Okay. I love yeah, that. Some beautiful water. I went after one of the, the, I think it was hurricane. One of like Maria or something. One of the big hurricane that went after. So like everything for the most part was shut down, but the water was just crisp, pristine blue, man. It's beautiful out there. I love that. I love it. Travel's huge, man. But I'm curious, like at yeah. what point on your journey did you know that you could make it to the NFL? Like, oh, I, I want to get back to... Really? Year of college. Junior year of college. Really? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's weird. All my life. So I had, I was talking to a guy yesterday on my podcast and his, uh, his name is Jim and he was talking about how, um, you know, he was a fat kid and then I was a skinny kid and he always had fat Jimmy in his head. And I was like, dude, you need to turn that into a book. Like everybody's got fat Jimmy. You know, everybody's got that, like the person in their head to like that. I'm not that good. That's not who I am. And so what I explained to him was like, I had, you know, we'll call it foster care Anthony in my head for a lot of years, which is I'm this foster kid. I don't deserve to get a college scholarship. You know, I don't, I don't deserve to be on the big lights. I was on billboards in college. I went to Oregon, man, I had legit billboards and trading cards. Almost. I was killing it. And like, there's still that part of me. I was like, ah, but I don't know. I don't know if you deserve that. Your mom didn't love you, man. She gave you away. You're the only black kid in an all white poor foster family. Like, you know, Right. That's not what you do. I'm the only athlete in the family. My mom's got MS. Like, dude, this is not, this isn't your pathway, Aunt. And as much as I would work, I was working to prove to myself that I earned to earn the right to work hard. Mm. It's a weird way. Like I had to earn internally the, the right to feel like I deserved to have success from working hard. And so like football, NFL, that, that wasn't part of the plan. And so like my junior year, I'm like, well, I actually, I have a shot. <laughs> Senior year, I like I led the pack ten in sacks, tackles for loss, forced fumbles, fumbles recovered, like balled out, and like it was this thing where it's like, no, like I actually do, 
I do have the capabilities to get to that next level. And that's when it became a, a, a plan. But prior to that, man, high school, like it wasn't like I'm going to, I'm going to everything I can to get the NFL. Like there was only right. one guy, his name was Tim Manley. So my principal, high school principal, Jeff, I think his name was Rich at the time. He did not believe I would make it anywhere in the college. He was like, this guy's not going to be anything. Like that's what I heard to the grapevine from a couple of people. Like Jeff used to tell people like, I Anthony Trucks is good in high school, but he's not going to do much more. And I was, you know, a buck, you know, 75, buck 83 in, uh, in high school. And then I had this guy, Tim Manley, who was a yard duty, a uh, really good dude. And he would sit down with me, he'd drive me around like, look, I, I don't know how to tell you this. Like, I'm the only guy that maybe sees this, but I believe you can play in the NFL one day. Like, not even my mom and dad had been telling me this. Not opposite, but, you know, they don't know what's supposed to go on. It's just, they're just kind of floating around, just right. doing their thing. And, and, uh, and so that was the first time someone even put the seed of NFL into my thoughts. And it was interesting. I was like, all right, maybe, but it wasn't a goal. Like, it wasn't this thing of like, I could, I just was like, all right, I'm just going to see what the next thing is. And high school's college, then college eventually became the NFL. But, uh, but yeah, it's weird. Most people like, oh, you must have wanted to play since you were a kid. Like, I didn't play football until I was 14. I had no I aspirations of anything higher. Crazy, man. So yeah. I'm always curious. I, I've had a, a few NFL players on, NBA players, MLB players. I'm always curious to learn what they picked up just from being in the locker room and being in proximity. Like, Oregon, man, I'm mm -hmm. sure you played with some awesome fucking people. You know, NFL, yeah. same thing. Like, what did you learn from being in a locker room with people that are on that level? Because like you said, what was the stat? Like one in 20,000 high school players, you know, make yeah. it like that. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So you're at a certain level, man. That's a different ball game. I'm just always curious yeah, to take away from that. You know, I, I almost the best way I can explain this is you got to be so great that it looks goofy. Mm. And when I mean by that, as if you look at all like the stars, the most, you know, most baller, baller players at any kind of level, they have a weirdness to them. There's like a goofiness, right. a playfulness. And, and we all almost envy that. We're like, how does this guy, how is he so big, so fast, so strong, but he looks so playful. Like he just is chilling. And this is, this actually roots to a lot of my work. Uh, but when your identity is the person who just does hard things without thinking about it, like you, you don't carry the weight of that throughout the day. So for example, um, a regular everyday human being, we'll call it's not a professional athlete. There's this thought in the morning, do I get up early? It's a decision. Um, do I eat healthy food? Do I catch that workout? During the workout, do I decide to put more weight on or not put more weight on? Do I decide to take a 15 second meal break or do I just keep pushing when I'm tired because I want to compound? Um, you know, do I set up the playbook? Do I all these different things? And after a while in your brain, you actually get like, we'll call it the decision-making tank depletes. So after a certain amount of time, you don't have, like you're mentally spent. And then that's why you right. see people who are achieving some things. But after three hours, you know, they're like, man, I can't, gosh, it's just too many thoughts. So now they don't want to think and choose anymore. And I think this is why women can't choose dinner because they, they, they decide <laughs> things all day. Should I wear this? And I look, <laughs> uh, I'm just, I, that, that's partially true, but I'm being facetious. But then if you think about it, when you are the athlete who I don't decide whether I'm, I, I get up early and I get the workout and I work crazy hard in the workout. I do my thing. Well, three hours in, I just got through a crazy hard workout, be set up. My body's good. I feel good. And I don't have any drain. I'm like, right. my, I got like maybe three, you know, two thirds of my tanks left. I was just, you know, doing some halfway decisions. So what happens is by the end of that day, 
Like I'm just going through the motions, chilling in a good light space where somebody else is stressed out and they're like, oh my, I can't keep doing this. Their head's spinning. It's like, it's just who I am. They put a funny hat on and play, be playful and stuff, but then still put a helmet and shoulder pads on or put the basketball jersey on and ball. Like, mm. because what they did is, is they, this is processed at the end of the day, the root of my work is this, what you create creates you. What you create creates you. And the creation process is a process. It's not like the one single thing, one day I show up. It's the process of creation, the ugly, dirty, arduous journey of going from nothing to creating something stronger, faster, smarter. And that process, after a while, I'm no longer stressing and deciding and I'm on this side of the fence trying to be that person. I'm just that person. Mm-hmm. And I don't second guess it. So there's, I guarantee there's something people look to you and go, man, hey, how do you, how do you do that? You're like, how do you not do that? Mm-hmm. It's just, that's my typical Tuesday. And they're like, man, I can't get, I couldn't get that done if I was to spend all week. And I, well, I don't know. I'm just mad. This is what I do, man. It's, you know, it's like, there's a feeling behind that when I say that. And so what I mean is like you, if you look at some of the greatest athletes that I've been around, I've been around a lot. Jonathan Stewart was I went to college with, and I was in the NFL. I was with uh, Heinz Ward at the time, Willie Parker. Um, I played with Derek Brooks. Uh, these are all old guys. Mike Allstott, you know, Chris yeah, Sims, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, all these, you know, Harrison, uh, we call him Silverback back when I was there. Uh, uh, James Harrison. There's a lot of guys, right? And the thing is, they just, they're just, they work hard, but it's, it's so normal and natural to work so far outside the bounds of, of cognitive comprehension, right? That it looks just, they're just playful and goofy. They do all this yeah. stuff. They're just playful because it's who they are. It's that when you can close what I call the identity gap, there's this who you are and the person you want to be. The only difference is identity gap. When you can close the gap by shifting to that ideal identity of that human, dude, those things become easy. Greatness makes you look goofy because it's like, how's this goofy bastard out here doing his thing? And it's like, that. oh, this is who he is. It's just who she she is. She just worked so hard that she created this person through arduous journey, but that created that person inside to who they are now. Yeah, man. Now, what was the shoulder injury? Was it a torn labrum? What was that? Yeah. So I had labrum on the left shoulder. Now I have arthritis. I, have, I think my labrum is still intact as far as I know, but I tore on the right side, three of the four rotator cuff muscles, left side, I think two of the four. And wow. so that was in college. I had my right side all messed up like that. When I, I like was running, playing games with my arms strapped to my body, running down on kickoffs it was nuts. And then in the NFL, I had uh, somebody jumped on my back when I was playing against the Eagles and tore my shoulder out. So labrum, and then I had to put some anchors in there. And then I had like two, I think two of the four rotator cuff muscles kind of got torn off. They put them back on and it was, you know, it's kind of the thing where to this day, like the arm goes numb frequently. If I don't yeah. exercise, I'll be walking and I'll feel it kind of slide out. Kind of weird. Really? But yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, so uh, I asked, I did the labrum in both shoulders. One was baseball, one was basketball. That was God's oh, yeah. way of telling me that, dude, stay away from sports, you know, yeah. play, play in the rec leagues. But uh, yeah. why, why did that stop you from, from going forward, though? Why was it the end when you had that last shoulder injury? Well, what turned into wasn't that I physically couldn't, because it's a part of me that physically can't and can at the same time. If I muscled through it, I could. I just have a bad shoulder, really what it would be. Uh, but I had, an, I had offers, and one of the offers was from Buffalo Bills, and Buffalo Bills said, hey, we'll, we'll sign you. Uh, we'll put you in. But... Uh, we're going to put a waiver on your shoulder, which means that if you get hurt for any reason, no one covers it. And I fell in covering it. 
we ain't covering it. So you're going to cover mm-hmm. it. And a surgery is, you know, a hundred plus thousand dollars easy. Oh yeah. So, so I'm like, well, what do I do? And, and my agent, he says, well, honestly, this is what's going to go on. Every team that you go and talk to, they're all going to have similar asks. So either you put your family's future at risk by, you know, cause if you hurt your shoulder and can't fix it, you might have no ability. You'll be handicapped. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you won't be able to walk and move and play with your kids. Like, he's like, do you want to chance that for money? And if not, now's the time to make a choice because either you're going to hang that jersey up or put a new one on. And, uh, and it was a decision. I, it was very tough to make, but I decided, man, I'm, I'm going to hang it up. Because even then, even yeah. if I get signed on, like being in the league, I can get signed on as a free agent today. And I kid you not, I could be second string on the depth chart. They'll draft a guy. And the moment he's drafted, he becomes second string. I become third or fourth. Mm. It's the nature of the game. It's politics. It's just so there's guys that would come in and I'd, I'd already been there the year before, but draft day comes, they draft this guy and guess who's ahead of you? He's, he ain't got, he don't even know the playbook yet. He, his name hasn't even, you know, crossed the paperwork in the office, but he's ahead. And so I was like, do I want to keep chancing that and climbing with a possibility to lose my career in practice, you know? Yeah. So I just wasn't smart. Now, did the whole family aspect make it easier to let go? I'm always curious how people find themselves letting go, you know, even Mm. beyond that, even in relationships, right? Even in uh, business, like what was that Mm. process like? Yeah, it sucks with a family because now you got like, I'm 25 years old. I'm, you know, a man with three kids and I got a family to feed. Like that, that's incredibly, it's not easier. It's harder. Cause also most people don't grasp when you come out of the NFL, I don't have work skills. Like I don't, I don't all of a sudden come out like, all right, I'm a great worker. Like I don't know anything. I don't know how to, how to do anything at work. I don't know run a business. I don't know how to, you know, work computer programs like everybody else that I may have went to college, but that doesn't give me the ability to, to operate a professional world. And I'm just like when I started 14 years old, high school, you know, it's five, six years behind my peers. I'm now five, six years behind my peers in the same capacity, mm. but it's in, it's in real life. So I'm coming home. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. So it's scary. Of all things, like the real world is scary when you, when you lose your professional athlete status. And, uh, and most people, I think there's some statistic that says like 71 or 73% of former NFL athletes go bankrupt within three years. And I get it. Because I come home and there's two parts that are a massive problem. One is we got big egos. I'm better than you. I played in the league. I'm not going to come <laughs> work at your business. Who do you think? You, I'm, I'm Anthony Trucks. And you're not. I'm nobody. No, and to this day, nobody knows my name. You know? so, so I'm like, that's one big problem. Second thing is, well, I got this money. Let me see if I can make this money make me money. And it's, it's short money. It's not like, I, I think I'd come home at like 150 grand in the bank. You know, it's like, and at 25, it's a good, it's a good chunk of money at 25. But like, right. it wasn't like I had a revenue stream still coming in to keep building that. Now I got to figure out an entire different life to make this thing come to life. So what I did is like, all right, I'm going to build this gym business. It's going to start returning money. Let me put all my money into there. Not a good idea. I didn't know what I was doing. And so nine months in, I'd burn through the money, man, trying to build this thing out. And now I get a serve with a paper from the landlord. Like, all right, you got three months to pay or, you know, no, six, 16 grand had to be paid two weeks to pay or I'd be evicted and have to pay the next three years of the lease, which would be like 250 grand. So I'm looking at bankruptcy. And uh, to be honest, man, that was the, that was a big reason why it was so difficult coming out. Cause most of the time we don't realize like we need to find ways to make money. So it was worse with the family. It just was. Cause now I got, I'm doing my dumb stuff and it's not just affecting me. It's affecting four other people that are looking to me to f- provide for them. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it created a whole different dynamic internally that made me feel like crap. <laughs> like this is what it yeah, was. Man. 25, 26. And I'm like, man, I'm ruining other people's lives, including my own. Right. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate the vulnerability. You know, I, I think that's um, what people resonate with. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. But I'm yeah. curious, you know, you mentioned business a few times. What's your, bi- what's your biggest takeaway in business, whether it was from a success or a failure? Typically, they come from failures, uh, but uh, I'm curious. Do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I mean, the biggest failure was, there's a lot of them. I've had, I mean, week after, for two weeks, every two weeks for six years, I, I was always struggling to pay payroll and pay rent. So I had a lot of failures. A lot of failures. I think some of the, the biggest things for me was um, even when it doesn't feel right to, to never lose sight of the fact that like income comes when you serve good people and you serve people well. And so like there's times when I was focusing on the money, I would never make the money. Just never would. Like I'd be focused on trying to close people. But then when I just focus on treating people really, really good and really trying to inherently figure out how to solve their problem, money flowed in. So like, and that was in the gym business. So at this point in my career, like I was really big, like I just serve people, dude. Like when I get in the phone, my focus is never like, here's how I can get them like to get to this money. I'm not looking at money. I'm genuinely looking at how do I make this thing that I have something that they can't live without because it's going to serve them so well. So part of that comes with creating something amazing. Also part of it comes with making sure I, I present it amazingly, right? And so that's one big piece of like the business. The other thing is that I think most people don't grasp is you've got to understand the difference between being a business and being in business. And being in business says, I, you know, like I have my lawn people outside. They're, they're in business. They do the job. They get paid money. They have control kind of of their schedule, right? They're in business. But being a business means I can sit at home while somebody else cuts those lawns and I get paid. Right. That's a business, right? It's, it's systems. And so the hardest thing for most business owners to operate and comprehend is what a, what a business system is. It's far beyond the model and the business plan. It's how does McDonald's make a burger taste the same in Paris and in, you know, Paris, France and Paris, Texas, you know, how, well, I gotta say it tastes better in Europe, man. Have you ever had McDonald's? It's so different. It's so different. It is. It's a, they don't, there's actually, I was in Russia one time and, and there's signs that say no American meat here. Cause it's like, that's a positive for them, you know? <laughs> right. So it is vastly different, but the cooking of the hamburgers is the same. The process is the same. And so business needs to be developed and designed to have systems. And people can be, you can be in business all day long. I have no problem. The hair stylist who wants to be a hairstylist, the, the personal trainer, totally cool. But for me, when I'm 50 years old, I do not want to be, uh, uh, at my desk, taking away all day long. I want to have mm. revenue coming in from work I did the correct way to create systems far earlier in my life. And so like at this point now, I'm developing very specific systems for my VAs, for my team, for everybody that does things, even coaches that coach under me, right? Making sure that at the end of the day, I'm looking at, does this thing run if I walk away? And, and for the most part, like 80% of this thing does because I'm not in the stage to fully walk away from it yet, nor do I want to. I like the work I do to create content, write books. Uh, and so with that perspective, I think most business owners don't grasp. You've got to really be clear on, am I in business or am I making a business? And if you make a business, you can sell it. Like I've sold one business, right? I had a turnkey gym that was running. I sold it because it was a business. If it was me doing the work, there's no value to it. Right. I love that, man. That's awesome. That's great. So on your journey, what do you feel like is a piece of advice that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but it ended up proving to be true over time? Um, there's a lot of different things I'm trying to think in my head. <laughs> so you want to, you want to go personal, want professional, you want to go health, how, what would be a, a direction or an area you want to land it? Cause I got something I could give you for each one of those, I think. Well, let's hear it, man. We got some time. I'm, I'm open. We got some time. So, uh, personal. So there's, here was the depth of my true, my marriage falling apart. So I come home 
you know, I'm gone to the gym all day long. My wife has, you know, two twins at home and a, and a you know, four year old. So she's just running the house and, and I'm not making any money, bro. It's just a dark time for us. And so my wife ends up, um, disconnecting from me and we'll call reconnecting to somebody else. Jada would call it an entanglement. <laughs> uh, so my wife, my wife ends up having an affair, man. And as much as I could joke about it now, like this was not joking matters back then. Yeah. And, and dude, you just, you, know, you find out like everything is falling apart. And so, you know, I have, my wife has this affair and, and it tears my heart out. Cause now being in foster care, only thing I want is my family, my blood family intact. And now that's being taken from me. <laughs> and so it's a lot of, a lot of just anger and pain. And so for a lot of years, dude, three plus years, it was all her fault. How dare you? How could you? You're a horrible human. You ruined our family, <clears throat> all this stuff, right? It was all her fault. And in doing that, I never had to take blame. I could blame it on her for falling apart. You wouldn't you know, mess with somebody else. Like you slept with some other dude, like you ruined the family. I don't, you know, every, my, my part of my life is you know, all messed up because of you, right? My kids aren't here because of you, it's your fault. And, and it's hard because in that space, you feel helpless and hopeless. And so the problem is that turns into every other relationship becoming one where I figure, well, hey, no matter what I do, it could happen again. Why even try that hard? Why be a good guy? Why right. you're not, not in the sense of like not cheat? It wasn't it's not who I am to cheat, but like why you know even go out of your way to have these hard conversations or you know do nice things? Like it's just that's all going to go that way anyways. And it took me sitting in front of that, that wall and having real conversations to realize like, oh damn, all right. Well, my wife had a made a horrible choice horrible decision, but it took two people to get her to a place, myself included, where she felt she even needed to make a choice in the first place. Mm. And so part of my like lessons in, in relationship is you said control. When I feel like I'm completely helpless and hopeless, I have no control of that, that situation. Therefore, like I'm running like a leaf in the wind and then anything can happen. I'm just at the whim of the world. But then when the reality sets in, it's like, no, no, if I'd have just tried harder, a little bit different, I would have been able to give her the thing she was looking for. Cause she didn't do things to maliciously hurt me. She did them to seek out her own fulfillment. And so people do, we do things for ourselves. Unfortunately, some people are affected negatively, right? But that was kind of the reality. And so my learning lesson relationship wise is you got to control yourself. That's the best way you can control, we'll call it somebody else, but it's never a full control. Like love, you ever done uh, you're an athlete, you ever do power cleans? Yeah. Yeah. Now those who, who do power cleans may get this. When I do a power clean, most people try to hold that bar full grip in their hand. And if they don't have good wrists, which is like 95% of people that do them, you can't hold much weight because like your wrists are holding 300 pounds. So as the weight gets heavier, your wrist can't hold that. You have to actually let the weight roll to your fingertips and go against the clavicle of your, of your chest. And by doing so and lifting your elbows, you have great control of the bar. It settles in. It feels comfortable. I can, I can hold it there for a while, mm. but I couldn't hold it on my wrists. And I've noticed like when I'm trying trying to have full control, it's like holding all that weight on my wrists. As the relationship gets heavier, I, I can't keep control of it. And that's like the kids and the business and the duties, right? But if I let go just a little bit and let it roll back, it'll find more stability. So actually having less grip creates more control wow. for power clean, but also in my love and relationship. So I had to let go of like my pride and my ego and not try to control her and these perspectives and then try to find like, where can I get better control of Ant so I can have some control of the situation. And in doing so, it allows us to now, like we got back together after three years, divorce, crazy custody battle. You can imagine the anger. 
And I took my own, my own role in it. And it allowed us both to grow as humans. Cause now I could say, okay, crap, I had control. I shouldn't have been at the gym 6am to 10pm. She mm-hmm. didn't have a husband and she had three kids to tend to, right? There's, there's this, this, this little bit of dying inside for every day. And I wasn't even making the money that I was, I should have been making while being gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And then for her, it's like, she had to learn to control her emotions, to control her ability to communicate with me. Cause she grew up in a situation which was always amazing. And so when hardship hits, she didn't know how to deal with it. So her thing was run away and do my thing, only worry about Christina. And, and that was something that she learned from her parents, right? So we both had to grow, but it, it brought us to a place where we could realize like, oh, we need to be these people for this relationship to work. And that's really where we, we learned. I say that lesson for me in relationships was like, I got to be able to take personal ownership and control itself. And when I do that, it allows me to have a greater control of the thing that I'm trying to control in the first place. Right. That's amazing that you were able to resurrect that, you know, like just being able to, to bring that back to life, man. Like I'm sitting here in awe. In fact, I actually have a little bit of goosebumps right now because I'm a lover boy, man. I'll be the first one to say it. Yeah, like there you go. That, that, that's, that's a beautiful thing, man. And I'm glad to hear that. But I'm curious, I, I've heard people say in the past, like you choose who you love, meaning like you oh, choose yeah. who you do life with. Is that something you mm-hmm. agree with? Or do you feel oh, like yeah. your, your significant other is the one, you know, like drawn to you in some magical, no. mystical way? No, man. You know, in our situation, we've been together. I mean, six, 16, we were together, high school sweethearts. And we didn't know who the hell we were back then. We were little kids trying right. to figure out life. We we're both going through hardships and weird things. And we just kind of grew together, but never apart and didn't know who we were. So as much as it sounds weird, I would go through this all five times over to get where I'm at now, man. It's just, it's yeah. a phenomenal relationship. Relationship. I love every ounce of her. And some things I don't. I, we're human. You know, we have our right. bickering and fighting. We're humans. But um, I don't believe that we're like, you know, soulmates, we'll call it. Although I do at the same time. And what I think is, like, you get to choose a person and you get to say, this is the puzzle I'm going to solve. Mm-hmm. I, I've, de- I've determined that this human being is the puzzle that doesn't make sense right now, but I'm going to try and solve this one. Try. Doesn't mean you do, though. It means I try to solve this one. And, and I think what happens is you, you have to make a conscious choice for love. I don't think love is this, you know, this thing that just happens. It's, it's, a, it's a verb as much as a feeling. And you get the feeling from doing the action, right? There's times right. when relationships fall apart. And I think a lot of people are like, I want to wait till I, I just want to wake up one day and be in love with you again. It doesn't work that way. Think about babies. A baby is born and all it does is eat, cry and poop and it doesn't do anything for you. But you have this deep, deep-seated love for it. Well, why? Well, because you're putting energy into it. You're the one up in the morning at two o'clock, three o'clock, you know, six o'clock feeding babies and changing diapers and, you know, walking to sleep. And this time you spend, man, it's this outpouring of a verb of love that creates the emotion of love for you. Right. And so for me, I look at the relationships we choose as you'll build that love, but it's not going to happen because all of a sudden someone's drawn to you. It's going to happen because of how you show up as a human and how you choose to put into that relationship. But I also heavily believe this is one thing. If you're putting love into the wrong area, you'll, you'll end up finding that never you, you pour out from a cup and never get the cup refilled. Mm. So, so it's got to be a reciprocating thing, right? This is what the five love languages is built on. And this is a good part of it. But the reality is I got to find this as human. And here's what I've noticed as human beings, we will pick somebody and who you choose is a barometer for how you hold your self-worth. So right. if I have a person that is far below me, 
it's not an accident, man. If, if people look at you from the outside and they say, this person, why are they with this person? They will say out of their league. It's non-looks. They're just out of your league. It's like, well, that person for some reason believes that that human being they're with is all they're good enough for. That's why you don't see, you know, A-list celebrities dating, you know, guy that works at, you know, at Wonder Bread in the, in the factory. Like, you know, it's not that he's a bad dude. It's just that the person at the high level, they, they believe they deserve so much more. So they have, right. they, they choose other stars. And it's the same thing in life. Like if I'm, if I'm working at Wonder Bread, I'm not going to date the homeless woman. You know what I mean? So the thing is, it's like, there's this perspective people have to grasp of. You got to find somebody who you hold your level of self-worth because then you'll do the work. And then that person, if you choose the right human being, that person will reciprocate in the right way. If you find somebody who you feel is at that level and they're not reciprocating, then don't keep solving the puzzle. Like the puzzle is this thing where I got I to gotta wake up with energy to solve this puzzle. Like there's things my wife has got to, she's got to try to solve me at the same time. If I'm the only one working on things and she's just sucking for me all day, it's not going to work. And vice versa. If I wake up, like last time my wife, but my son went off to uh, his buddies to go visit in a different state in Reno. And so he usually does like the dishes and stuff. And last and I heard my wife up doing the dishes, his duty. And in my heart of hearts, I was like, I want to get up and go. But I was half asleep. I'm like, I'm not going to go do this. But what I do know is today I'm doing dishes without her asking. Right. right? So, so she's doing certain things, but I know what that means to her, you know, when, when that gets done. And so this is a thought in the back of my head is how my brain operates, right? I'm like, I'm going to do dishes today. No matter what goes on, I'm getting those things done. And, and that will let her know like, oh, he, he is trying to solve the puzzle too. And then she'll right. keep doing. Because the problem is when we get to dark places in relationships, we're both like at odds. It's kind of like this, this wheel. It's always spinning negative. I don't give to you because you don't give to me. And then I don't give to you then because you don't give to me then. It's this negative cycle. And the only thing that we're trying to do is get it running in the positive. We want to, I want to be able to give to you. So you give to me and I get, but if you do that expecting, it doesn't run right. If I do something like, well, I did the dishes yesterday. You should do this today for me. Like it cannot, you can't ask for it. Cause now it's your right. idea. Nobody wants to do what you want them to do. That's <laughs> just, right, like, I don't, right. I don't, unless it's a coach, like I don't want anybody telling me what to do. It's gotta be my idea. I'm not going to take your ideas. Yeah. I'm not going to fight for your idea. And so how do I do that? And so in relationships in those like negative cycles, usually it goes back to like, all right, I'm going to have to bite the bullet, suck the pride up and go to work. There's a, a book or not book. It's a book in a movie called fireproof. Uh, it's a Christian book and, it, and it's a Christian movie. And it's like this guy trying to fix his marriage over 30 days with a woman who doesn't even care to be with him. And it's him doing that. It's essentially 30 days of him doing these things that are the like taking out his ego and pride and doing things for her that his heart doesn't want to do, but he knows needs to be done. And it starts the wheel opposite. And now mm. if you think about when we get in fights, we always tell each other what we want but we just get like egotistical and, and, and you know, and combative. So I'm not going to do that. And I, I'll be damned if I do the, put this toilet seat down because she told me to, right? <laughs> what happens is when you get to that point of like, I do it because I know that she appreciates it. And I know that I do these things and she does things that I want. Well, now it spins and it's going positive and they're doing them without you having to tell them because the seed was already planted way before. And right. so now these things just happen because you know the person and now you're doing it from love, not from the fact that I have to do this. And then now the wheels start spinning because now they're giving to you. So you want to give to them and I want to give to them. And it's a bad, in a cycle, but it starts with one person doing the hard work of like, they go to a screeching halt and they start doing that positive work without even feeling like doing it. But it's again, a verb. 
an action of love that creates the feeling in them that brings it back to you. The cycle continues on. I love that, man. I, I could talk to you for days about this type of shit, but I'm going to try and squeeze one last question <laughs> out of you here. Yeah, no worries. Now, I, I know you hop on podcasts all the time. You, you have your coaching going on. I'm sure you get speaking engagements. You know, you're going to have the books in the future, so on and so forth. If you could only give one piece of advice for the rest of your life, what would that one piece of advice be? Mm, one piece of advice. Uh, there's a lot. It of could be about anything. It could be yeah, about yeah, anything. No, I, I get you. I'm always a proponent of like everything we do in, in, in the world we live in, right? It's all based on action. So I'll give it in a quote form. It's a simple quote. This is another quote that I made and I live by these things, which I, maybe it's why I'm biased to them. But I realize that no matter what I do, everything that I think or feel boils down to what do I do with it? What's the physical action? That's what separates us from, you know, other species is what can I do with my hands? What can I actionably take action with? And so the statement that I, I, I live with in college, my my college coach said, hey guys, come up with a quote. And we all came with a quote. Mine was, there are two types of people on this planet. Those that work and those that watch them work. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the audience. I love that. So I just work, man. I have always had this perspective. So work, it shows up in a lot of ways, but it's like, I don't mind seeing you watch me work. I don't mind you heckling me, making fun of the work I'm doing for a while. Uh, I don't even, you know, mind the fact that sometimes the work doesn't pan out and you're right and I'm wrong. Right. But at the end of the day, it's that work that separates all of us. It's, 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 I guarantee so many other people have had similar ideas and thoughts to do with exactly what I do, but I'm the one taking action. I'm the one working. And I, and I also, I don't need anybody to praise me all the time. Like, I just got to know that I'm doing what I got to do so that I don't get to my deathbed and wonder who I could have been. And it's just a, mm. a process that the helmet's on, the head's down. I'm doing my thing, man. Just, you know, chinking away, singing tunes in my head. But like, I get to that point of I'm trying to get so used to it that I look goofy. That like yeah. what people see is this lighthearted guy. And I am a lighthearted guy, but damned if I don't get a ton done on a daily basis. I love that, man. I appreciate you, man. Listen, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to make sure that all of your social links, websites, all that good stuff is in the show notes of this episode. But cool. if there's anything that I don't know about that you want to make known now, any special projects you got going on, let, let, let's, you know, bring that about. Yeah, no, I mean, I got, the, the, there's not any special projects. I'm in the process of, uh, of writing the, the, the next book that I'm writing. So that should be fun. I get this all, be- hopefully it gets done by the end of the year. I, it's not a matter of writing it, but it's all the little nuances in between getting it out and gone. And it's not a right. hard thing. It's just, you got, I'm at the house and you'd think that being home, I have, oh, we're all home. We got, you know, less work to do. This is what I already did. <laughs> so I have more work. Uh, and outside of that, man, I, I think just uh, I've co- coaching programs that are launching at a group level here pretty soon. I'm really excited about those. It allows the work that I have to get into more hands because I awesome. think people think coach. And like I talked about for the business, I'm not the, the only person I can coach and I don't have to coach everybody one on one. What people really need is I need the, someone to coach them along a process. Right. right. If you think about we, what we call coaching is, you know, it's no different than parenting, no different than teaching. It's like, here's a process. Teachers go to school. They have a curriculum, they have a book. We follow the curriculum. So you learn this thing and you get better at this thing. Same for what I do, but I'm just affecting the outcome of how somebody sees themselves and what they'll be able to accomplish potential wise. So someone listening is like, man, I'm really curious to see, like, how do I, how do I make sure and avoid the meeting the last person on my deathbed and that person being someone I could have been, how do I make that a human being that is you know, fulfilled like what they're supposed to do in this planet. If somebody is listening, is like, that's what I want to know about myself. I'm the guy for you, man. We have pro 
programs that show you exactly how to do that. I love it. I'll make sure that they could find all that stuff in the show notes, man. And I appreciate it again. Want to express my gratitude. Thank you for hopping yeah, no on problem. here. Very welcome, man. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it from our friend Anthony Trucks himself. You can find all of his contact information, websites, socials, all that amazing stuff that he puts out into the world is in the show notes of this episode for you to be able to continue along his journey with him side by side as he adds value to everyone's life that he connects with as he just did here for us, including myself nonetheless. Now, you could also find all of my contact information, socials, website in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, I mentioned this earlier in the beginning of the episode. It is a massive opportunity for you to become a beacon of light for the people in your life, even beyond what you've already done for them, right? And it's not about you doing something for them, them doing something for you. This episode right here, you've gotten to this point by you sharing this with them, the people in your group chat, the people on your social, you are really adding light to their life. And you want to know what? Maybe you throw in a little explanation. Hey, this really resonated with me. Or hey, I really think this will resonate with you after what you told me, XYZ, etc. Right? This is powerful. This is an opportunity. It's right in front of your face. And I highly suggest you take it. And with that said, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, be blessed. Peace.